Good evening. Good evening once again. Um, yeah, I'm so pleased to be able to... Uh, actually, let me change that. I'm not pleased because I remember what this hall looked like yesterday. And I'm like, oh, we're back to normal. <laughs> I thought, why couldn't we have the service with all the, the beauty and splendor of uh, uh, the white of the wedding? It was a, a truly lovely, lovely day yesterday. Uh, we were immensely blessed to be part of that, to, to celebrate with our brother and sister. And um, I guess with that in mind, I, I just remembered as I was talking to Sister Liana at the back just now, I was thinking, oh, you know, one thing that was missing from the wedding was, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, Ryan, grumpy Pastor Ryan, he preached from Malachi 2. And we were like, oh, man. <laughs> What about 1 Corinthians 13, about love and, <laughs> you know, uh, and I heard as uh, Adrian and Michelle stepped out, you know, we went out and they were, you know, married uh, a couple and one of the, the bridesmaids, you know, looking at them, you know, enjoying a little tender moment together. And, you know, she said that the bridesmaid said, oh, love is sweet. Love is sweet. And, you know, I looked at that and it, it, it generally it had just fallen in line with a lot of what I've been thinking, especially within this last month. Um, you know, to be uh, honest, we're, we're taking a little break from Matthew chapter 6 and we'll be in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, today. Uh, in a moment I will read the chapter in its entirety. but. Um, I want us to explore what the Bible has to say about biblical love. You know, what is it about biblical love? Uh, I mean, it's true that God's word emphasizes that Christians should be known for their love for others and should be growing in that love. You know, we can't question that, that that's true, but then question is, how do we live in a world in which we sometimes see that that love or, or the, the love that we understand is, is distorted? It's heavily misunderstood. Whether we like it or not, as followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes we are impacted by the world's understanding of love. You know, that, that, that young lady, she saw a, a young couple, newly married, in, in, in the midst of joy and you know, love is sweet. And it is. Love is sweet. Properly understood, we even see it's great, it's even sweeter than just what we picture and what we see. I mean, what does the Bible say about love? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, that we ought to pursue love. It's something that we ought to pursue. Again, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love. He wants to test the sincerity of love, and he wants us to do the same, that we ought to test that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Peter says in chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love 
for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. The Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. To love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors, everything that we do in terms of our morality is underpinned by love. But of course, like I mentioned, the world confuses that love so often. As I flicked through, you know, Google and Twitter and different articles, just looking at this word love and trying to see and extrapolate things. Admittedly, I took some stuff out of its context, but some of the things I found were quite enlightening. One article wrote, finding lasting love is hopeless. What starts love and what stops love, as it was entitled, one woman sarcastically said that what starts love, meeting a man. What stops love, meeting a man. Another one has said that there many who believe uh, in love would have been far better off replacing St. Valentine with St. Jude, the patron saint of hopeless causes. Another article said, love is a reservoir of feelings that will probably dry up at some point. He spoke of a person who stopped loving her husband after he had failed her in some way. He wrote as what she had said, that 10 years of loving that man and all of a sudden it's gone. And I don't understand. He said that uh, the, this lady, Susie, has experienced what I've come to recognize in my two decades of psychotherapeutic work with couples in distress. That love is very much a reservoir. And over time, there may be additions to it or an outflow. He said, people in love rarely seem to know how close to empty their reservoir actually may be. While most of us can vividly recall each step along the road to falling in love, the process of falling out of love is largely invisible until it's completed. Again, what starts love is looking through rose-colored glasses. You idealize your future with this person or that person. You put your best foot forward. Then real living sets in. Romance takes a back seat to the bills, jobs, aggravation, family problems. You focus on those things instead of cultivating the relationship.
I remember as a, I, I recall, and you know, I'm listening on the radio. I've mentioned it a couple of times as it's so impacted, but listening on the radio and the, 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 the DJ is coming to the end of, of his uh, particular set, and you know, as they are, they're excited to be getting off work. Maybe he has plans in the evening, and you know, he's putting on the last track and telling us what's going to come, who's coming next. As he's closing, he says, yeah, good, good night. I love you. You love me. You don't even know me. And as we come to this text that is so familiar because of that word love, the, 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 the chapter of love, and as I mentioned, constantly read at weddings, and it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter in, in what it says, absolutely. But as we want to think about practicing biblical love, we want to have in mind how this chapter comes to us. I Pastor Ryan did a series through 1 Corinthians, and it was very much emphasized that Paul in chapters 12, 13, and going on to 14, he's not talking about weddings, He's not talking about romance. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts that are being used by God's people in the church, or in this case, sometimes being misused. And he's saying that, as we're going to come to see, that for a local church to, to rightly use our spiritual gifts, love must be the focus. Love must be the focus. So before I read, I, I do want to emphasize that we're going to look at three necessary steps this evening for us to find what is God's purpose for us in that word love. What is it that he wants us to know? I'll read and then I'll pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, 
I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith and hope, faith, hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Oh, heavenly and gracious Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that we could sing of your love. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm jumping the gun in, in, in revealing to your people here this evening that we only know of love because you first loved us. Because of the fact that whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. We know what love is. Help us, Lord, uh, to know something of that love this evening. That we may live lives of love. Uh, as we seek to uh, live according to your word, uh, we may do so with the love of Christ in our hearts. Help us this evening, Lord. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the first thing I want us to understand is that we must understand love's definition. We must understand love's definition. One of the obvious lessons that flows out of and the illustrations of the world that we read earlier was that they are significantly different from the definitions we could use for love. The idea of looking at love as something that can be uh, 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 drawn out uh, through the periods of time and, and something that love is a, a sort of a placeholder for our emotions and feelings for a particular period of time that we could simply drop at any moment, depending on the state of our lives, is a different picture to what the Bible gives us of love. There is no way we can grow in anything unless we understand what it is that we are talking about. There are, of course, as we know, the three different uh, uses or, or definitions of that word that we know, uh, amongst many, but uh, three definitions for love that range in their Greek uh, uh, translation. So we have eros, the word for love, eros. And we, of course, get our word erotic from that word alluding to a more romantic, sexual love. And of course, this expression of love is never used in the scriptures, which doesn't mean that God is embarrassed by the concept of sexual romantic love within the confines of a, a husband and wife. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul earlier says in chapter 7 that human sexuality is very well properly understood within a monogamous relationship of a husband and wife. It is properly understood, honoured and celebrated and practised 
by the institution that God himself has placed. God himself created erotic love. And when practiced properly, biblically, for his glory, it is a fascinatingly beautiful thing. But that's not the focus of the text. There is the, the philo love. And you might consider that as the friendship love, the brotherly love. You know, I think of, I always think of uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, uh, the city of brotherly love. Um, you know, a bit besmirched by uh, media, but that's where the name comes from, philo. Uh, and it's, it in itself is also a beautiful expression of love. The love that we as brothers and sisters have for one another at its very base level. But again, that is also not the focus here this evening. Thirdly, we have agape love. This was a much more rare word in the Greek language for a love that is far more seen uh, regularly in the word of God. Agape love. Here is one way to define it. Agape love is a choice of the will to sacrifice oneself to meet the needs of another person for the glory of God. A choice of the will to sacrifice oneself to meet the needs of another person for the glory of God. And every single facet of that definition is vitally important. Biblical, uh, biblical love is a choice of the will. It is not a feeling first. When a married person says, I don't love him or her anymore. That is not simply a report on the status of someone's feelings. It is an indication of sinfulness. A person is saying, I am no longer going to exercise my will in a sacrificial way towards this person. There may be various reasons for that, but at the crux of it, you are saying, this is what I'm seeking to not do any longer. Now, there are feelings involved, absolutely. God made that part of us too. And it ought to be celebrated, embraced and expressed. But that is not the basis of love. Whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ had every reason not to love us. But for the joy set before him, he embraced the cross, despising the shame. Our feelings are up and down and all over the place, and other people in our lives will sometimes disappoint us. But we can still practice biblical love. That's so foreign to the world. As far as the world is concerned, as soon as someone disappoints you, you can go on to the next. Just move on. 
No sense in trying. No. We can still choose to sacrifice ourselves to meet the needs of others for the glory of God. Why and how? Because God is our model and our example. God is our model and example of love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves his church. No, did I say that right? Christ loves his church? No, Christ loved the church. That's very significant. Because as we're going to come to see, love isn't just feelings. Love is a sacrificial choice. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. These verses help us to understand the, the sacrificial aspect of that definition. For God so loved the, church, the world that he gave Christ loved the church that he gave himself. Let me pause and ask you, maybe to open the dictionary of your own mind. Is that the love that defines uh, your own heart? Is that the definition of love in your own heart? possible that we've been operating at vari in various different facets of our lives uh, with a definition of love that is not so given from the scriptures but is one either we've taken from outside or fashioned from our own hearts. It could be the case for us and if that's the case we need to change our definition to bring it in line with scripture. I need to find ways, to practically find ways to sacrifice myself and meet the needs of others for the sake of the Lord. He's called me to love. We must understand love's decision, uh, definition, sorry. After that, we must make love our priority. Once we've understood the definition, secondly, we must make love our priority. And that's what Paul is pointing to at the opening verses uh, of this chapter. Read with me in verse uh, 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I delivered up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot to be said about this, but in this, part, in this passage about, uh, these chapters about gifts, and in particular the gift of tongues, uh, in, the, in the Bible, you know, we know the gift of tongues was known as, uh, as people, by the power of the Spirit, uh, having all of a sudden the ability to speak in known languages of some or various kinds that others could understand. And the miracle was that that person would speak in a particular way and the recipients would hear the message in their own language even though the speaker did not know their language. This was not being pursued rightly. And Paul would say, I don't want the gift of tongues to cease or to die out, although I know it will. Because of, in essence, the translation of language and everything was essentially a sign of judgment. But there will come a point when, when, when that will no longer be or, or complete within this age. But he was making the point that even when a gift was operative in the church, it was not for us to, to, to seek attention to ourselves. When we're speaking in tongues and no one understands what we're saying, that's not to the, to, to the glory of God and, and we're just doing it for, 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 for an amazing show. I've been in settings where things like that have been quite rife. There is no understanding, everything's just up in the air and you're like, what's being said here? It wasn't meaningful. People had become noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. Paul has said these people have become nothing. There are all sorts of people who have all sorts of gifts. The Holy Spirit has bestowed different gifts to different people for the glory of the church. But because of a lack of love for others, people either don't even ex exercise their gifts why? Maybe deep down there's a fear of not doing it rightly, not doing it well. We must search ourselves and find out, you know, well, why is it that we're not serving in the church? Is it for others or because of myself? Am I waiting for someone to come and purposely pick me out and say, oh, can you do this because we know you're good at it? Am I seeking to exercise something that I know and I want to, to honor and glory God through God's people? Even those who professed the gift of prophecy or knowledge, those who had the ability to preach, it's not for love. It's, it's nothing. You're simply, if I'm simply up here to come across as a, a, you know, some kind of orator, to maybe wave my hands around and have a tissue and wipe a brow to look very prophetical, it's pointless. The Spirit won't bless it. He's able to use the, the, the worst sermons 
to bring glory to his name, but what is the purpose by which we are exercising our gifts? Some people give, but they want something in return. Their name on the front of the building, the attention or the prestige. No, giving ought to be out of a loving desire, a heart of cheerfulness, Let's plow a little bit the other way. What are the results of a, a, a life that pursues love as a priority? When we pursue love as a priority, we'll be able to name clear and specific examples of sacrifice for others for the glory of God. I know once or twice I've been challenged and asked, how have I loved? And it's an uncomfortable place to be. You know, when someone you're supposed to love, God has given you to love, and they're asking you, how have you loved me? We, if we're pursuing a love sacrificially, we'll be able to point to them and reassure people and give them confidence that they might know that we love them. It's not always convenient. It's not always easy. And there won't always be praise or applause. And in many cases, there won't even be immediate results. But sacrificially serving others for the glory of God is what love is all about. We will also grow as spiritual people. Let's never forget that it's the Holy Spirit that helps us with our gifts and abilities. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, five that the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Have we exercised that gift the fruit of the Spirit is love. If we are of the Spirit, that is one of the fruits that we will naturally produce. I mean, let's take the gift of serving, especially even in, in, in our own homes. Uh, um, no, I didn't even get a chance uh, to mention it. Uh, yesterday, as um, I spoke on behalf of the church, of our uh, love and admiration for Adrian and Michelle, uh, and how much we continually will pray for them and seek to encourage them. Uh, uh, but I wanted to mention, um, you know, uh, Michelle. You know, little quiet Michelle. You wouldn't even know she's in the room sometimes. She just sits there. Uh, but I remember how how much she longed to be with us at all services. But, you know, because of the way in which her home is structured and uh, being an obedient woman to, to, to her parents, you know, after the first service, she has to leave and go home and serve at home. It's something that's so small and insignificant, but it's something that I admired a lot. 
You know, even to be in, in, a, in a home with parents who don't believe what you believe, but you're obedient to them. You serve in the capacity as a, as a child, not as a child, but as their child. She could quite easily go around, you know, stomping, who knows what she does in her own home, maybe she does, but stomping her feet, being really upset, being really angry. But we know that she didn't because yesterday her family were all here. Her father was able to say and come and see that, wow, this is the church in which she serves in. Oh, what, Michelle, you, you have access to Alexandra Hall, you can go in as you please. This is a church in which she serves in. This is her church. But we see there uh, the act of service and serving in, in, in that, that, that woman who is now a wife and who is now looking forward to, to a life with her husband. She sacrificed. And by God's grace now she will reap, reap the rewards. In this context, as we're talking about exercising our spiritual gifts, for instance, the gift of serving, if we're doing so begrudgingly, especially in the home, it will show. It will show. And then all of a sudden that creeps. It creeps into the workplace. It creeps into a social uh, network. It creeps into your church. Exercising gifts apart from the context of love makes you sound like a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. But on the other hand, if you're crying out to the Spirit to help and enable you, not only will you become a more loving person, but you will grow spiritually and you will continue growing. The beauty of spiritual fruit is that it's continually growing. The master will always come and find fruit at your tree if we're continually pursuing by the power of the Spirit to love more deeply. We make love a priority. We understand the definition. We make love a priority. But now it's time to put on love's characteristics. Put on love's characteristics. Of course, we don't have enough time here to study each and every single phrase here in detail, and boy, we could easily. You know, we've spent our time in Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13, and we've, we've only just come to verse 10. There's so much in the, the Word of God for us to keep coming back and back and back to, and to be refreshed over and over again. But here in those uh, familiar verses to us, we find 15 different characteristics here of love. Seven, are, seven of those characteristics are stated positively. Love is. While eight are stated negatively. Love is not. You know, we, we get to consider the, 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 the verb usage there of, of love is and love is not. In the original Greek, we're talking about verbs 
that are more uh, defined to us that this is not simply something that is said, but something that is done, something that we do. Firstly, loving people have a right view of themselves. When we have a right view of ourselves, this is what we do. We don't brag. We're not arrogant. Loving people are not rude. They do not seek their own things. How often does that fit into your own overall definition of love? Loving people are not selfish. You know, it's often said that the love, sometimes the, love, the opposite of love is hate. But as we come to understand it, that better understood, the opposite of love, sacrificial love, ought to be selfishness. Love properly expressed is sacrificial giving of one, oneself for the glory of God. For as soon as we start to be unloving, we're choosing to be selfish. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Loving people have a right view of themselves. Secondly, loving people have a right view of truth. Look at verse 6. Love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Loving people do not rejoice in iniquity, but they rejoice in truth. There's so much iniquity uh, going on in the world. You just simply have to open your phone and, and see all the wrong that is going on. Sometimes that wrong can be reflected as a positive thing, as a good thing, you know, uh, for, for, for people of Christ, but we don't rejoice in such things. We do not rejoice in iniquity. We ought not to rejoice in wrongdoing. We rejoice in the truth. I think of my own self and uh, ways in which I've had to learn in my line of work. Um, you know, I, I've been working from home for a long period of time and you know, uh, as I've grown in my work, I've been given a little bit more, a lot more autonomy and I'm able to manage my own day. And at times when it comes to you know, giving an account, there's a lot of micromanagement in my work. I'm constantly in meetings, constantly viewing spreadsheets, constantly writing reports to give an account of what I've done simply for that day. But I've found ways, and I know ways, to you know, maybe doctor the stats a little bit, maybe adapt the outlook of my work for the day, 
so it reflects better to my employer. That's wrongdoing. That's iniquity. If they don't see, God definitely sees. God delights in the truth. And the truth can sometimes result in, in, in difficult conversations and difficult situations. But God delights in that. Love delights in truth. The second we think that it's okay to tell a white lie or to, to, to do something to protect ourselves, that's when we've dripped, stripped, we've strayed away from love and into that selfishness. I'm thinking of my own self. Loving people have a right view of truth. Loving people have a right view of others. Verse 4 says, love is patient and love is kind. Kindness can express itself in a word and in a deed. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, that, that name that Brian had to uh, remind me of again. Okay. David expresses kindness to Mehishbosheth. Like that right? <laughs> uh, we remember Mehibosheth, uh, a relative of Saul's, who, as soon as David is installed as king, is fearful of his life. But David shows loving kindness. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? for Jonathan's sake. We, as people of God, ought to say, is there anyone left in this world that I may show kindness for Christ's sake? If we are to be the church of God, we will operate in kindness, bringing what we have in Christ to bear for the good of other people. We do not envy. Ooh. Envy takes two forms. I want something that somebody else has. I wish they didn't have what they have. Wow. Search our hearts. Is that somewhere where we've been? I want something that somebody else has. It doesn't matter what that is. That nice house, that nice car, that better marriage, those more obedient children, better career prospects. That's not love. Love does not envy. Love is patient. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Look at verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Especially within a local, because this is a, to a local church. How many instances do we have to you know, lose our rag with someone? Maybe not publicly, but in our heart. Same old thing over and over again. They're just not getting it. 
Love believes all things. We believe that Jesus Christ can do all things. We hope in all things. We hope that someone who is somewhere will always get there in the end. Loving people are patient, long-suffering. We give the benefit of the doubt. We forgive. We do not take things into, into, we don't take wrongs into account. We bear all things. If we are to be the church of God's intention, we must organize and set out our structure and operate according to the biblical principles to which love has been given. But if we have not love, we're nothing like he intended. You know, I, I can stand here and, and, and say without boasting that, you know, we, we are a loving church. I see God's people sacrificing continually, you know, Yesterday, as we're coming to the end of the the of the, the wedding, and it's the disco part, and you know, I see Chris and Leslie and Benny come in, and I thought, okay, they've come, I know why these guys are here. You know, they, they, I, I know why they're here. No, they've come here to clean. They've given young men who could be doing other things on a Saturday Saturday evening. They've given their life to support their their brother and sister. I see the sisters who uh, are just here serving other people from the beginning of the day to the end. It's not the beginning of the day. They've been here since Friday. And I want you know, people to be sorry for me as well. On Friday, as my wife was here, I was at home struggling with the kids. I was sacrificing my time. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I thank God that we, by God's grace, have sought to, to, to live according to the biblical principles of love. But we have nothing without love. We ought to abound even more. Wherever we are, that's nothing. We ought to abound even more. I pray that God would perfect the love, not just in us as a congregation, but in us individually. So that it's not just for a Sunday's best, our Sunday's best, or if there is a big event in the church, everyone will chuck in, which we always do. But that this is taken to our homes, to our relationships outside. It's what God delights in. Today is a good day to lay aside any unloving patterns of the old man in our lives. The old self is done away with. Put on the new cloak of Christ. He is the ruler of our lives. Give him rule over your life. May we live and love, not for ourselves, but for the good of others, to the glory of God.
Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, that we might know what love is. Uh, left alone, we would bring about our own definitions of love that suited our own needs. And too often we have been found there. Help us, God. Forgive us for times in which we have lacked patience, we've lacked kindness. Uh, we, 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 have, we have not been long-suffering. We haven't borne all things. We haven't hoped in all things. We haven't believed all things. Give us your grace, Lord, that we might pursue love and make love a priority in our lives for the sake of Christ. May our weak and our lives evermore be marked by love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.